Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. It's that time again. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. Back at it and better than ever. Yes. We Feeling have, good. We have a new opening segment to yes. unveil this week. Um, and yes, Jessica, the Did You Knows, they are very exciting and they're fun. We may get back to them, <laughs> but we have something to do first. Yes. <laughs> and yes. as we store them up, maybe we'll just do a whole podcast on Did You Knows and, and get them out of the way. But uh, what we need to do right now is um, if you want to check it out, it's on our Facebook page, how we came up with it and some of the things behind it. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the things we say podcast all spelled out. Yes. There we go. There it is. And there's a live video that we did. We developed a tournament and this idea was stolen from Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck directly. Yes. Um, and, and this was done years ago. And so I felt like we needed a new one for 2019. Right. Because the 24-hour news cycle wants you to be afraid of everything. All the time. All the time. All the time. So that they can sell you stuff. Yes. Yes, it's absolutely true. So the 24-hour news cycle didn't exist prior to about 2000, somewhere yeah. in that range. And it's a toss-up between... 9-11 and, well, I'm sorry, let me reference it in the correct time time span. The uh, 2000 election yes. and 9-11 as what really caused. The 2000 election was a major catalyst yeah. to the 24-hour news cycle because, yes, right. a number of factors. But the main thing that sells on 24-hour news is fear. Yes. <clears throat> so you got to keep people constantly afraid and you got to flash things up there. Breaking news. Yes. This, this is a brand new thing that you should be afraid of. But fear as a motivator only works effectively for a human if they're afraid of one particular thing. Yes. If a human is afraid of any more than one thing, none of their behaviors right. are rational. They're, they're not. They can't, you can't attack. You can't defend. You, you can't run away. You can't, you can't do fight any of those or flight. Things. That's right. Uh, you know, so if we pick the one big thing that we should actually be afraid of, then we can engage fight or flight. Is yes. this something we can take down? Is this something we need to take on? Is this something we should genuinely change our actions about because it's that scary? Yes. Or should we ignore it altogether and whatever? Yeah. So we have developed a list of 64 things that we feel we are being told we need to be afraid of. Be afraid of. Yes. And this is things that the media is actively telling us that we need to be afraid of through different channels, whatever. Right. <clears throat> so our list is going to be posted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those different places you can find us. We're going to post it there where you can see the full list, and um, we'll actually write it out, and you can take a look at it. We're not going to spoil it for you by reading through 64 terrible things. No, Just we're not, not. going to do that. And we're not going to be that, we're not going to be that podcast. 
that talks mm-hmm. about those things exclusively in a podcast. No, this is just an opening segment. That's but right. we to narrow it down to sixty four, we had to eliminate some things. Uh-huh. Uh, some of the things that we were elim- that got eliminated that did not make the list was organ donation and FEMA. Those won't be on the list. No. Um, and there was one that we tried to combine the two, and so we thought we'd open with that one. The way it's going to work is Nate and I, one will pick one, one will pick the other. We'll kind of argue, and whichever one we say, okay, that one is genuinely more scary than the other one. Yes. We'll advance. Yes. So that we will eventually have, right now we have 64, we'll get down to a round of 32, we'll get down to the Sweet 16, the Elite 8, Final Four champion, you know, right. championship, here we go. So that's the idea. We're going to eliminate the things that are less scary than the other things so that we can just comfort you that you don't have to be afraid of it. There's something even more scary out there until we get down to the champion and that's it. Right. So if you have something that you want us to add to this list, we are the dictators. So we can add. We probably won't. Probably won't. But feel free to reach out to us. This is now elimination. That is the goal. All right. All right. So So what do we got? The one that we had kind of a play-in game here into the tournament was we weren't sure which to be more afraid of, unvaccinated kids or vaccines. There was a lot of scary stuff on both sides. Nate is more scared of unvaccinated kids. To a degree. I am probably more scared of vaccines, but only to a degree. Yes. This is is a weird thing because we both are kind of on a... We lean a direction, but we're not like hardliners on either of these exactly. things, really. So it's it's this one's going to be a little bit interesting. So we'll just open with about five minutes. So you get about two minutes to present yours. Yep. I'll get yep. two minutes to present mine. Okay. And then we'll make a decision. All right. The reason I am kind of fall into the fear of unvaccinated kids versus uh, vaccines is simply because of the reality of the fact of carrying a disease. Like, if you get a disease, you are then the carrier of that disease. Then you interact with people, so on and so forth. There it goes. And so I, I see it from that perspective. I agree with that, that being a, maybe not an entirely rational fear, but at least something to make you think and say, okay, is this a problem? Do we actually know how this affects? Do we know enough about it to basically say whether this should be something we're afraid of or not? That. That everyone is a carrier of particular diseases or there are carriers of these that, diseases that and we don't not, know where they yeah, are. By, that by not getting vaccinated and then possibly being exposed to a disease like, say, measles, and then bringing that into a school system where there are other unvaccinated So no children. one in the school system is a carrier of measles before that? Essentially, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Is that it's saying... I think you can be a carrier of the disease and have a vaccine for it. You can still be a carrier... Yeah, but I'm talking like a contagious element. Like you can actually okay. come in and expose somebody to it and, and actually start an outbreak. But the odd thing about me is I'm not one of those. I don't understand being afraid of unvaccinated kids in schools because if your child is vaccinated, then that takes care of well, that's, that that's issue. That's my thing. It's presented as if, right. oh, he has his armor suit right. on. He's you're, right. The reason you get your kids vaccinated is so that they get their armor suit on and they're immediately immune to this whole right. list of diseases. Okay, if, if, if you have an unvaccinated kid walking right. into a school where everyone's got their armor suit on, what? It, who should be more but afraid of who? But here's the problem. Here's the problem, and this is where I actually do get into <clears throat> unvaccinated kids being a thing to be afraid of. It's not the one unvaccinated kid coming into a room full of vaccinated children. It is the, the because it's now not only become a thing that's been under debate, but it's become trendy. 
to not vaccinate now. On top of it, you're, you are now bringing a child into a realm that's possibly a 50-50 or a 60-40 or whatever. There's, there's a large element of children now where there used to not be that is unvaccinated. So you bring a kid in with measles and has a, has a potential of dying from this disease and bringing this deadly disease in, he has the potential to actually expose other unvaccinated children and cause issues. So my fear so, of unvaccinated children is a fear of because of and for unvaccinated children. So basically what I'm saying is... But vaccinated- if it is as advertised, <clears throat> then all the people that have their kids vaccinated aren't actually scared for their own kids. Shouldn't be. Now, I think the the way the media presents it, I think they, they try are. to make they try to make everybody afraid of it. Right. But that's not just think that's just not thinking rationally. That's just playing to the fear. For me, it's about this has become a trend, and it has become trendy on top of becoming a trend. I mean, in that in the in the so Facebook you're worried sense. about it on the larger scale, not your particular kid. No, if saying- if my kid is vaccinated against one of these deadly diseases, I'm not worried about right. it because that's what the vaccine is for. But sure. as it becomes more popular and as more people get suspicious and don't want to vaccinate and don't don't do things like that, then it becomes a danger to all these other kids who are unvaccinated. Basically, what I look at it as is vaccinated people are. They give somebody the ability to have opinion on vaccines in that sense and say, well, I don't want to vaccinate my kids. Yes, you live in the United States. The likelihood that your child is going to get measles or mumps or rubella is very, very slim. Yeah. For a myriad of reasons, vaccines included. It's part of the whole wall that has been set up, you know, with sanitary conditions, cleaner water, like all those things. But that will start to go away as more kids are if the trend continues and if that continues to be common for kids to not be vaccinated, there's going to be a huge gap in that where suddenly you're going to see kids in mass getting sick with these diseases that up to this point have been eliminated almost entirely. So that's how I look at it. I'm not afraid of unvaccinated kids. It's like, oh, an unvaccinated kid is going to cause a pandemic in a school. No, if they've been vaccinated, if they like, there's not a problem. There's a problem to that child and there's a problem to unvaccinated children, which are becoming an increasing number. So that's my my thing of why I think it is reasonable to have a fear of unvaccinated children collectively because they will cause their own problem, which, again, won't affect my kids in that sense. But it, other than the trauma of maybe having massive amounts of school children die around them and having to deal with that, which okay. is, a, which is, which is again, an extreme, an extreme. <laughs> but it's, it's seriously, though, I mean, this, this stuff happened all the time. Smallpox, all these things. It was common. It was common. It yeah, happened all the time back in the day. Clean water and and granted, and good that's working part of, sewers. And granted, that's part of it. That's part of it. I'm, I'm and germ theory in I'm, general. I'm no believer in that it is an exclusive thing, but it is yeah. it is a tool in the belt that that I feel like is being underused for some of the wrong reasons. Right. So there you go. And and I I obviously in in debating with you and yeah. taking the stance of a vaccine alarmist, I'm not. Right. I'm not actually that person. Right. Um. In in my personal opinion, I think it would be great. Um. The the reason that the reason that we are cautious about it is because of medical history more than right. anything. And about There's genetic reasons genetic why you want to be careful about it in the past to vaccine that type of thing. Anyway. So we're cautious about it, and I would rather, you know, give separate vaccines for separate diseases at separate intervals rather than trying to combine a lot of things. And especially when they're younger, maybe when they're a little older, step them through yeah. program that something like that. But what is not allowed is for you to do that. Yeah, there's no allowance made. There is allowance made to opt out, 
and then the only other option is comply with the schedule. You, yeah. if you're if you're anywhere on the vaccine schedule, you have to keep those things current, or you're you risk not complying. Like you have to get a note from your doctor that you are current. And you you're are, talking in you terms of like school this. and those kinds. Yeah, because our 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 pediatrician no, our pediatrician does allow for those things, but again. School system may not. There's there's almost no middle ground where if you wanted to do this in a cautious, reasonable manner, mm-hmm. like I obviously if you want to vaccinate your kids, that's reasonable. I'm yeah. not saying that, but I'm saying if somebody wanted to be cautious and step them through, it would be even harder to do that than it would be to opt out. Yeah. Which is which, which is, is weird. Part of the whole debate. Yeah. The reason that I would say that vaccines should make the list of things that we should be kind of afraid of is because of where this ends up. Okay. This ends up if people take the stance of unvaccinated kids being the most thing that we need to be afraid of, okay. then they will get their government to action on it and say that people must van- mandate the, that the government says that you must vaccinate your kids. Yes. If the government says you must do things, the government has two tools in their entire tool belt. One is pointing guns at people. Yeah. The other one is taking money away. Yeah. Are you willing to do that to in two families over this? Yeah. If the public, more than 50% of the public, is good with pointing guns at people or taking their money away based on this, yeah. that is what will happen. Right. And I don't like... I don't like the idea that, yes, a lot of most scientists are completely, I would say almost 100% of the science community says, yes, vaccines are tested science. They work. There's reasons why. It's part of the, like you said, right. part of the reason that America has such a low rate of high of these highly contagious diseases and all of that. Yes, we're also very good about germ theory. We're also very good right. about sanitary conditions, the things we eat, the, like all of this stuff. Right. Sterile, sterilized hospitals is a huge thing. Like all of these things contribute to not having contagious diseases. Right. Like it's a brick in the wall before 1900, yeah. you know, or even before 1940, you yeah. know, that type of thing. Like germ theory was in its early stages. So now that we have that more developed, yes, vaccines is part of it, but is it something you want the government pointing guns at people over? Yeah. And if, if that is where it's going, I'm a little scared of vaccines. I'm a little scared that it becomes a hot button issue. I would rather this be a private yeah. issue. And the problem is, is if vaccines become a public issue and people push it far enough, there will be a guy with a gun that tells you you have to get your kids vaccinated. Yeah. That's scary. Okay. That's scary to me. And the other thing that you need to know, as far as unvaccinated populations, we have... We have anyone over the age of like 12 or whenever the schools stop mandating that you get your booster shots. Yeah. You're pretty much unvaccinated from about 18 on anybody that's older than 18 that hasn't got any of their booster shots. You're an unvaccinated population. There's no vaccine that just lasts your entire life. Yeah. So we have a huge percentage of the population, probably anybody 18 and older which is most everybody we're arguing about kids. Yeah. And as like the only thing you go to work every day with people that are unvaccinated, you are probably unvaccinated and we are, we have policies that just let 
completely undocumented people into the country right now and feel about that however you like. I mean, good, bad, otherwise, you know, great to have them come in, great to not have them come in, however you feel about that. But the, the main thing is, through legal immigration, you have to prove that you do not have all these right. diseases. Right. And whatever the U.S. has on that list, you have to go to a certified medical professional to get a signed document that says you do not have these diseases, and you have to present that to an immigration official as part of your acceptance into the country. Right. This is why we have illegal immigration. So anyone who is pro-vaccine and, and, and pro-just willy-nilly immigration at the border is a hypocrite, <laughs> 100% a hypocrite. Let me, all right, let me give you my rebuttal. You, I, what I would like to see is, first of all, immigration policies that work Yes. so that it is easier for someone to say, to prove that they don't have a communicable disease. Yeah. I wish there were more agents on the border, not necessarily with guns drawn, but that could process people in an effective manner, that type of thing to keep a lot of these highly contagious diseases that only exist in the third world from just invading into the U S and I'm not saying particularly Mexico. We're talking about like all over the, the third world right. with people coming in that don't make any sort of documentation. All right. Let me, let me offer my rebuttal here. Okay. Okay. My rebuttal to your point is not that it's wrong, but that you're actually talking issues of statism as the actual primary fear that you're talking about, why it's worth being afraid of. You're talking about somebody taking an issue and making that the hot button issue in order to exercise state control. But I'm also saying unvaccinated kids are not the scariest thing, even when it comes to vaccines. So but, what if, a, if a, <clears throat> like, say 25% of kids are unvaccinated? So what? 100% of adults are unvaccinated. But again, even that gets into, into the, the science behind that even can get a little dicey. It's not as exact as you're making it sound. Well, 90% of Yeah, adults. but I'm saying either way, it's, it's not as, it's not as, as, as defin- and especially when you're talking the the really deadly diseases yeah that those are the ones and again you can have the debate about the flu vaccine and the different ones and that are just the, the only things like that. the only medical companies that can't be sued those that make vaccines and i and i get because that. the government has a fund set up to pay out anybody who's a victim of vaccines without with without it going to litigation you don't have to right you, you, I right. mean, you do have to prove it, but you can't sue these guys that make right. the vaccine. So you can't sue but them. Also, and then you're going to have a guy with right. a gun telling you you but have also, to put it But in your also body. part of the reason for that is because the way that the, way that the studies have actually lined up is that it's, it's financially, it's financially makes more sense to just pay off the random people that this has actually happened to, that there's actually been an issue with, yeah. versus letting it go to litigation and fighting it because that's such a small percentage. But the government pays it. I get, I get that. I get that. But but here's my but again I'm just here's saying my thing. that caution and skepticism and fear are tied got to it. I've, I've got it. I've got it. But what I'm telling you is the argument that you've made, the most solid argument that you've made, has everything to do with statism and has much less to do with vaccines, as it were. That may be the doorway, it may be the vehicle, but it is not the primary thing. So I would argue that because unvaccinated children is in and of itself the actual thing we're being afraid of, I think that it should take precedence over vaccines in this case. All right. We'll get to statism later. <laughs> so so you, you, will, you will begrudgingly grant me 
I will come over to your side. Okay. It'll be an easy elimination okay. later on. It, it will be. This is true. This is not going to be the number one, <laughs> for sure. There's anyway. no way we can be as scared of those little rugrats. No, no, <laughs> no, no. All right. So, All right. <clears throat> on that note. <laughs> that was fun, That wasn't was it? fun. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. So, what are we actually talking about tonight? Tonight, we're going to talk about the Second Amendment. We've talked around it a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit about, <laughs> about guns. Um and and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about a path forward on guns. Nate wanted to go a little different direction, so we'll see where it ends up. Yeah. Uh, but we definitely needed to talk about guns in America and and this argument that happens every time there's something bad that happens with a gun or murder gets discussed or suicides get discussed or something like that gets discussed. Guns are immediately to blame. Guns become an issue. And both sides are very dug in. Yeah, uh, the the no guns whatsoever would ever be needed for any reason. Like the hunting days are over, the the shooting redcoats days are over. We have a military that can take care of us. We have a police force that can take care of us. Uh, you don't need to hunt for food anymore. Why do all you rednecks need all your guns? What is what is your main pain? You know, and and you're just leading to more death and more destruction because. Your gun manufacturer just pushing all these guns out there. And then you have people on the other side that are like, you can pry my guns from my cold, dead fingers. And any encroachment on absolute gun rights for everybody where everybody is allowed to buy any gun anytime for any reason is an encroachment on my rights. Yes. And both sides are dug in and both feel like they have constitutional backing. Both feel like they have like the moral high ground and they're going to take out the competition no matter what. Yes. And then there's probably 40 to 50% of the population that is somewhere in the middle, half of them being gun owners, half of them not owning a gun because they just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's start by doing this. I'm going to read the actual Second Amendment. I'm going to read the actual words that are in the Constitution. Okay? So here we go. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. One of the things that is the most interesting to me about this is that guns are never mentioned in this amendment. Right. Because at that time, if you're saying arms, what are we talking about? Muskets. Muskets, cannon, and bladed weapons. Well, That's whatever they would have it. had in, in the armories where the militia would yeah. have yeah. gone and grabbed stuff. So right. you're talking about ammunition. Right. Probably, did they have dynamite? Yeah, they would have had right. explosives, various kinds of explosives. Some, but some kind but of it's, a general, it's a general statement about arms, not specifically just guns, which I think is interesting because every time the Second Amendment comes up, all anyone's talking about is guns, when there's a lot more to it than that. If you're really talking arms, if you're really talking what that meant then and what that is comparatively now. So just for what it's worth, so, I'm going to throw that out there to start. So do you think, and maybe this is not where you're going, Yeah. but do you think that any advancements that have been made should be considered? Or, or is this more a time thing? What, what was the feeling of the people that wrote this? What, what was the impetus behind putting this right in second to free speech and... Because the First the, Amendment. Because to my mind, the Second Amendment is what defends the first. 
if you don't have a population who is armed and well, well so, well armed, then the First Amendment means nothing because there's no means by which the people can defend their rights. Against whom? The government against another uh, seditious power coming in one way or the other. See, that's what, that's what the, the anti-gun movement yeah. would say is scary because the only people that you are, that the Second Amendment is written against then would be an organized government. So yeah. you have to take an anti-government stance in your argument for the Second Amendment. Or you have to take the reality that it's potentially there. I'm right. not against the U.S. government. I believe in the U.S. government. I believe in the system of government that we have, imperfect though it may be. But I also think that one of the things that has kept it in check thus far is an armed populace. There was a quote I was looking for. You can continue mm-hmm. to make your point. I was looking for a particular quote, yeah. so it's going to take me a second. Well, again, I think one of the things that's interesting, one of the, one of the things that you are commonly hear people say is that, well, they're talking about the militia being allowed to have weapons. Yes, but what it's actually saying, it's, it's making a distinction between the militia, the state, and the people. The people being everyone, the common people. So the, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. In other words, because there has to be an armed force yes. within the United States, the right of the people, not the armed force, not the state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms will not be infringed. And again, part of the thing is that you you can't just take the Second Amendment on its own merit. There is so much that the founders wrote about this. There's so much, if you get into the Federalist Papers and different things, that they talk about this very thing and why it's important. And again, you look at what happened is they had just come out of a war where the English state was using their militia and regulars to come against them, and the only thing that kept them and allowed them to survive was being armed, was being equally armed. And they weren't equally armed. I mean, the British, the British Empire at the time was the most formidable army in the world, and they would continue to be for almost another hundred years, maybe all closer to two. Um, and they were, well, they were well equipped. They were well armed. Their soldiers were well fed. Ours were not. Ours just shot whatever they found. They, you know, they... they they did whatever they could. They did what did so with did what they could. So did the founders just want to keep their own arms? And they were worried about government overreach eventually trying to take their own arms? Like, I don't think so because I think that they would have put that in the I I think that they would have put that exclusively in there. I think the right of the the right of the elite, the right of the wealthy, the right of the whatever no, it's the right of the people, the people, all of the people to yeah. keep and bear arms. Well the people is a is a term used throughout the constitution, yeah. which just means the public at large. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, here it is. Uh, I'm not going to be able to promo- pronounce this guy, this guy's name. Uh, he was a Japanese general uh, about at, when they asked him about why the Japanese did not invade the U.S. mainland after Pearl Harbor. You took out their ships. Why didn't you make a ground invasion right after that? And Yamamoto wrote this quote in a letter, and it was said to be, uh, to invade the United States would prove most difficult because every behind every blade of grass is is an American with a rifle. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that m- a lot of country or nation states would not consider a ground war against America because it would be almost impossible. Right. Because of the well-armed people. Right. It's not be and, and if you're talking about a ground war against America, yes. You're talking about military being a, an obstacle, but the feeling was 
if you could distract the U.S. military well enough or get them focused on something like Pearl Harbor or hurt them bad enough in a major area, then it would be easier to invade the U.S. mainland, yeah. except that the people are so well-armed. Yeah. Like, you would have to deal with small arms rifle fire the entire way. Yeah. And there's very few fighting forces that could sustain this. Right. And I, I often point to it. You can look it up yourself. Look up the list of largest standing armies in the world. Yeah. And look at the numbers that are given you. When Wisconsin hunters take to the woods, they are the third largest standing army in the world. Yeah. And that's just Wisconsin. Just Wisconsin. Yeah. Imagine Texas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, like all these hunters, you can look up these states and how many hunting licenses are sold for particular animals. And so look for big game, like deer hunting licenses. Yeah. Look for deer hunting licenses in all the 50 states and come up with the total that you got. And that's just hunters. Yeah. That's not gun enthusiasts and people that own gun collections or people that just go shooting. Yeah. I myself have not been hunting for four years. Yeah. And I, well, I do hold a hunting license now because I wanted to go coyote hunting because I have an AR and then I wanted to go sit in the woods with it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I needed a purpose for it other yeah. than, other than yeah. what I normally use it for, which is just shooting. Yeah. So like there are plenty of people that are just into shooting as well. So to invade the U.S. would be a foolish, foolish thing. And to say that it, from the gun, take, taking the guns away argument, to say that it doesn't affect the way our government interacts with its people yeah, is foolish. Because we've never seen it without. We've never seen it without. At least and, not in our country. And the U.S. government, we've kind of made the president a king yeah. and let him do whatever he wants. While he's there. And I blame I blame George W. Bush for that as much as any other president. And I blame FDR for that. To I blame start. FDR. I blame a number of people. Anyone that voted for the Patriot Act. A number of different things where power was consolidated to the executive branch, where we have made the president almost a king. And then you look at like the broad permissions given to the IRS and the FBI and the Bureau of Land Management and. Yeah and FEMA and a number of other government organizations and how far the government has, how huge it's become, how far it reaches. And if you, you are kidding yourself, if you think that that wouldn't be much, much larger. Yeah. If they knew that people were completely unarmed and the government yeah, unable the to resist. Guns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so this is one of those things where having this discussion is always interesting because for the most part, Sheldon and I are Second Amendment guys. Right. Like, like, we're going to agree on the majority of this, which is why this debate on, on the path forward is probably going to be the most interesting debate that you and I can have on it. Because as far as the people being armed, we're going to agree. We believe, right. that, we believe that the American people have a right to be armed, should be armed. To what degree we may differ... So, but, yeah, I did, want to, I did want to feel this out a little bit because you're more of a Second Amendment ab- absolutist than I am. Yeah. And... and so any consideration given to the current modern modern day like urban environment. Yeah. Should all guns be allowed even in even in a city environment? Are you comfortable with the guy upstairs having a fully automatic rifle in your apartment building in New York? I think there's I think there is 
reasonable argument that can be made for regulations within certain cities and within certain town limits. Um, even if you look back to the Old West, which was like the heyday of even why guns are still a big deal in the mm -hmm. United States, there were regulations in a lot of towns that you could not carry a gun unless you were, unless you were coming into town, leaving town, or just passing through town. If you were stopping for any length of time, you had to check your guns with, with the town marshal or with the sheriff, um, and, and they would keep them until you were done, and then you would pick them up on your way out of town or right before you headed out. Now, most people look at that and say, see, the Second Amendment was being, and it wasn't a problem. That, but the thing is, they weren't regulating the weapons. They were regulating the drunk and disorderly cowboys that were coming in. They weren't taking guns away from the citizenry. If you were somebody who lived in town, you were allowed to have a gun. You maybe weren't, weren't encouraged to carry it, but you were, you were, as a citizen, you were allowed to have a, have a weapon. But for these cowboys that would come in, they would come in, they just got paid, and all they would want to do is go pay for women and go get drunk. Those were the two things they did with their money, which would inevitably lead to gunplay, which inevitably, inevitably lead to two guys shooting at each other across a card table and would just cause carnage that didn't need to happen. So their solution was, no, if you're, if you're a cowboy coming in here, you're losing your gun. You're losing it till you leave because you, you'll just be up to no good. You're going to get hammered and you're going to be a, a drunk person with a gun, which nobody wins. So it was not as cut and dry as people try to make that argument. So, but, so how far is a city allowed to reach? And, and, that's, and that's a thing for the courts to decide. I mean, does it violate the Second Amendment? Yes, you're if you're allowed to keep arms, there, you can, the argument can be made that, no, you're, 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 not, you're not eliminating uh, somebody's, uh, somebody's ability to still defend themselves in the context of their environment. Uh, somebody with a handgun or a shotgun in an apartment complex makes way more sense than an AR in, a car, in an apartment complex. Um, it just it it just is. It's just true. Uh, shotgun probably makes the most sense because it's the safest for those around you as well. Um, but again, that gets into how micro should that be managed. So, do I believe an apartment building has the right to say, "Hey, you can't have any firearms here"? Yeah, they do. It's their business. They're allowed to say that. I believe they need to provide some means of protection if they're doing that. Yeah, and that's my thing. If you're a private property place and you say, "Hey," No, like say on Walmart on the door, it says, you know, you can't come in here with a gun, no concealed carry, no yeah. nothing. You're not allowed to come in here with a gun. And yet, have you seen a great security detail at Walmart? Right. How secure is the place? You can so, carry in Walmart. So, so if, well, sure. <laughs> what I'm, what I'm saying is, for example, no, if I got a you. Walmart I got were you. to put that sticker up, but I'm, I'm saying like in a place like that, that has a sticker up, I think it should be imperative on them yeah. then to have an yeah. armed security that is present. Yeah. If you are I going to tell see. me I cannot defend myself, yep. you need to provide. To, and that's why you I love to going to arenas. somebody right there with a gun yeah. because we know that mass shootings and things like that happen in places that are gun-free right. zones. And, 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 that's and why I feel personally about this because my cousin's church, for instance, there was a, there was a guy that attempted a mass shooting but was killed by a plainclothes security officer. Yeah. And they, the only people that they were able to kill was somebody in the parking lot, a couple people in the parking lot before they got into the building. Right. Fired several shots in the building and never got anybody and were killed by a plainclothes uh, security officer that was there for right. the church. Right. So if you're going to say that a church is a gun-free zone and nobody's allowed to carry here, like Ohio... You're not allowed to carry in a place of worship. 
Fine. But then it becomes imperative on every place of worship to say, this is how we're going to defend our people, or else why would anybody go? Right, exactly. And, And that's the thing. That's why you don't see mass shootings in sports arenas. Their security is top notch. Yeah. It really is. They do screenings. They send you through. And again, you could probably say, well, you know, I've been through and I've gotten this, that, and the other. Yeah, but... But they're watching. Like you're not going to get very. Yeah, you're not going to get very far in that, and that's why you don't hear about that because there's massive amounts of people. There's people getting drunk. There's all kinds of things that are happening in a sports arena. You never hear. So if a gun, if if an apartment complex or a housing authority on their private property, yeah, said nobody here is allowed to have or keep, yeah, any weapons, yeah, that infringes on the Second Amendment. But it's not the government doing it. Right. And it also, you have the ability to move. You can live yeah. somewhere else if that's what you want to do. And on the other hand, why would you move there exactly. if they don't have an armed security and, guard? And, and so the, the two areas that I struggle with and where I am an absolutist in terms of the Second Amendment, I do not believe the federal government has any business doing any federal arms regulation. I believe that the Second Amendment makes it very clear that they are not allowed. They are hampered and hindered by the Constitution from doing that. They've done it anyway. I believe that there is no, there are no grounds for any federal gun regulation to be upheld, period. I think the Second Amendment eliminates that ability. Now, hmm. I think the states can get a little hairy because the states are separate enough entities. But I think when you're starting to actually eliminate the ability for people to defend themselves, you're eliminating the weapons themselves that would fall under the Second Amendment as a state, I believe that's too overreaching for you. Um, I, I think, even though I think... Eliminating mag- weapons. For, so, for example, for example, uh, California's magazine ban was just struck down uh, in was the courts. Was it really? Yeah, yeah their 10-round they're, they're magazine ban. Uh, basically, that, their, their law was that you cannot own a firearm that has more than 10 rounds. Um, and that was just struck down in the courts, which is hilarious because all these gun manufacturers are now flooding it with 30-round uh, with mags and different things that people haven't been able to get for years in California, which, you know, good for them. Um, I, I have a little bit of a problem with that because that is severely limiting somebody's ability to defend themselves. Ten shots is not a lot. Yeah. It's really not. Now, and if you're thinking a one-on-one sense with one attacker, yeah, fine, that's easy. But what if you've got multiple attackers and you have one gun with ten shots in it? Like, that is not a lot. You've got to really be careful with where you're shooting and when you're shooting. And you just don't have that security of having extra rounds in there. I think that is the state infringing upon the Second Amendment right. I believe a state banning particular firearms is also infringing upon the Second Amendment right of individuals. Does the government have any role in, say, banning machine guns or hand grenades or missile launchers like RPG launchers? I think I think argument can be made for those simply by by the nature of and even even like mines and, and stuff like that I'm not so sure about because those are anyway that's improvised but, explosive but if devices. you're talking but if you're talking a, if you're talking something that is a, a mass detonation device like a RPG for example that one I can see because that is that is putting too many people all literally at once in significant danger. Yeah, because if you use if you an can, RPG wrong, you could take out like 30 people without right, even whoops. Right, and this is the thing that people don't understand is a lot of these things are actually legal for common citizens to own. It is just very, 
very yeah. difficult. And even though I get irked at the government for doing things like that, where they make you pay ridiculous tax, I think that's the way to go about doing that. If the government wants to regulate something, they say, okay, you can have this because the Second Amendment, but we will make it really, really expensive and arduous for you to do it because most people will just not do it based on that. They just don't want to mess with it. And the guy who's bent on destruction, he's not going to go through the federal FBI background right. checks that you have to go through. He's not going to have to go through the waiting period. He's not going to go through these things to try to get an RPG or try to get a fully automatic weapon. He's just going to be like, eh, you know what? I'll, 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 use, I'll make my own explosive devices and, and put them at the finish line of the, of the Boston Marathon. You know, they'll, they'll find other ways. Um, so I, I didn't realize, I, I had often wondered why silencers were banned. Yeah. Um, but in, in here, it was, it was, it's an 84-year-old law, the National Firearms Act, or NFA. Yeah. Silencers, also called suppressors or mufflers, are currently in the same legal category as grenade launchers. Yeah. To buy one, you pay $200 tax yep. to the ATF, and yep. then you wait. Currently, the average wait time is seven months. Many people incorrectly believe that the long wait is for some kind of secret James Bond background check that takes seven months to do. It's not. Silencers are subject to the exact same background check, and so are grenade launchers, as all firearm sales. The seven-month wait is literally just for the ATF to work through its paperwork backlog. Yep. Also, if you loan your silencer to a family member who's going on a hunting trip, that loan is a felony punishable by 10 years in federal prison. Yep. To stay out of jail, you have to do the $200 tax and seven-month wait again just to loan your silencer to your dad. Then when he gives it back to you, $200 tax and seven-month wait again. And, and basically, a silencer lowers a gunshot to about 130 decibels. Yeah. Which is still loud. That's jackhammer. Yeah. yeah. Loud. But... In, in countries like Norway and New Zealand, silencers are completely unregulated and consider, it's considered unsafe to hunt without one. Yeah. It's, it's almost mind-boggling to me that we don't allow silencers. For the pre hearing protection of those who are firing. For the hearing protection yeah. alone for hunters... But it, here's why. And this is like why... a ridiculous right. thing. And, and this it's is because they thought that they could ban a particular weapon... And then that got struck down, but the silencers portion of the law yeah. itself didn't fall, and yeah. it stayed in the grenade launcher category. And here's the thing. Why is anyone afraid of a silencer? Because of Hollywood. Because they've watched a gun go on a Hollywood movie, which is not at all... If you do maybe a twenty-two short, which is one of the smallest, dinkiest rounds that you can purchase, it might be the smallest round that you can purchase, actually, now that I think about it, then maybe you will get something that quiet. Yeah. But what you see in the movies is not reality at all. And this is why so much of the gun debate in America is jacked up, is because people believe what they see on movies, and it's absolute garbage. And, and none of, like, even the systems that different cities have set up to find, <clears throat> find and hear gunshots, yeah. the sound signature they're looking for is not something messed that's cut with out. at yep. all by the silencer. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no downside to just allowing silencers. So this gets back to what I was, I was going for. I was reading this article, and there's, there's actually a website, The Path Forward on Guns. Yeah. And I found this. I found it intriguing. Yeah. And it's thepathforwardonguns.com. Yeah. And... and uh, 
<clears throat> their whole thing is both sides are entrenched and we need to find a way forward in the middle that allows both sides to get something and to move on and to be able to say, okay, let's do this a common sense way. Yeah. And they have, they have three things, two, three things for both sides and then one thing for everybody. Okay. The three things for the gun control side is we will give Swiss style universal background checks. Okay. For everybody. There will be certain kinds of red flag laws. Um, and by that, it's like there, it, it can't be like these horribly written mental health right. things or whatever, but whatever the legitimate red flags are that we can narrow down and say these people are themselves potentially dangerous rather than labeling broad categories yes. of people. If we can make specific like red flag laws, that would be key. Carefully written red flag laws. Yeah. So you get universal background checks, red flag laws, classify bump stocks as machine guns and ban them from sale. That would be the three things for the gun control side. The gun rights side put silencers in the same legal category as handguns, not yeah. grenade launchers. Yeah. Uh, repeal depression era barrel length laws. Yes. Right now, if because of the NFA, all rifles and shotguns in the U.S. must have a minimum barrel length of 16 and 18 inches, respectively. So you can go to the store, pass a background check, and buy a rifle with a 16-inch barrel, but possessing that same rifle with 15-inch barrel is felony, felony punishable up to 10 years in prison. Which is also an interesting thing because you can eliminate that rule by, uh, by something being a pistol. So yeah. I, can make, I can have a sawed-off shotgun as long as it is a, quote, pistol. And in order for it to be a pistol, it has to be purchased that way. So they say it in here, contrary to popular belief, the barrel length law has nothing to do with dangerousness. The shorter barrel in a rifle or shotgun, the less powerful and yep. less accurate it is. Yep. The law is actually an interesting relic of how the NFA came to be. The first draft of the NFA included all handguns. The 1934 version, the $200 tax was equivalent to $3,700 today, and it was designed to effectively ban all concealable weapons. Yeah. They added the barrel length rules to stop people from buying a rifle, cutting the barrel down to the stock, and making it almost as short as a handgun, and then saying, it's a rifle, it's not a handgun. And there was only one problem. There was no political support to include handguns in the NFA. The law wouldn't pass in that form, so the writers removed handguns, but never remove the barrel right. length rules that were there to close the handgun loophole. Right. So they put the handguns back in, but that what they were using to close the loophole never went back in. Yeah. So literally, other than concealing, there's not a great advantage to a shorter barrel or the anything only, that's the more only dangerous. advantage to a shorter barrel is that it makes something more useful in an urban style environment. It's yeah. so like in my home, I'm not. I'm not having to move around things as much. I'm, I'm not having to point my weapon as far down if I need to come up around a corner and use it. I have less barrel. I have less that's going to catch, less that's going to hit on something. So the point here is if you can pass a background check and it's a Swiss-style universal background check, you can pass it. Why do we care how long your gun is? Yeah. And then uh, concealed carry permit reciprocity that's respectful of state law. So in, in cases where it can be, we're going to try and have – if you can hold a permit in mm -hmm. one state that these are the states that are going to respect it. And on the government level, the federal government level, we're going to encourage states to build in reciprocity, mm -hmm. which means I get my Ohio concealed carry. It makes it not in a, it makes it not where California would have to respect my Ohio one, 
But where if I'm driving into California and I get pulled over and I'm doing it the Ohio way and I happen to be in California, all of a sudden I can be punished. I can be thrown in prison. I, I've yeah. committed some sort of state crime and, and I can seriously be in big trouble. Yeah. So to eliminate that, there needs to be some understanding of people that are just passing through from other states yeah. and not, you know... And you can do that under the Commerce Clause. Right. It wouldn't be that hard. So their path forward is gun control. You get universal background checks, certain kind of red flag laws. Bump stocks are gone. And gun right side, we get silencers. We get any barrel length we want. And uh, uh, working towards reciprocity. For everybody, mass shootings are media contagion. The press can stop it with the same anti-copycat guideline, guidelines they already use for suicides. Yeah. I did not think about that until I read it. Yeah. That the way suicides are reported is non-existent. Yeah. We do not discuss it. We don't put the names of the people out there. We don't promote it. And there is studies, statistics galore why we don't do that. Yeah. And, and most of it goes back to studies that were done about like subway trains and they become the thing to commit suicide on and that type of thing. And because it was a problem is being reported on, the more it was reported on, the more it was a problem. Yeah. And till they start, they stopped reporting on it. Do not publish mass shooters manifestos. Do yeah. not say their name. Do not give them credence or dive into what they're doing and why and all of that. Do not say it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think if the media did that, it would be helpful in right. the whole debate overall. Right. The problem is, is that the media has become a political action group against the Second Amendment, by well, and large. It, it, I mean, the whole thing is, yes, they are a political action group against the Second Amendment, but they more than that enjoy inflaming tensions mm -hmm. and saying almost anything to get both sides riled up right. again. Right. Because when is, when is the NRA fun to the media unless they're mad and they put something out there that the media can talk about? Right. I, right. It's the only the media is a reflection of the culture. We want to hear this stuff. That's why we pay for it. That's why we listen to it. And we don't really care if everybody's just ho hum, ho hum, peaceful. Yeah. Here we go. What we care about is when people are really angry. Right. So if the media serves its own purpose by stirring up, right. stirring the pot and keeping it going, it's Orwellian. They need to yeah. stop that with mass shootings. Yeah. They really Agreed. do. Agreed. And here's the so, thing. So my question is, why, you said earlier, you're not yeah. interested in a path forward. Yes. Why is that so unreasonable? The, it's not that it's unreasonable. It's that it's too open. So when you say universal background checks, when somebody says to me universal background checks, the first right. thing I ask them is, what do you mean? Yes. Because every time I go and buy a firearm that has been made after 1890 yeah. and is not a replica of something of – and that's the thing. I can buy a Winchester lever action that was, that's designed as, as one that was made in the 1870s. Yeah. I can get that shipped directly to my house. I don't have to buy it through a dealer. I don't huh. have to be, go through a background check. I can buy it online right now and get it shipped to my house because it is classified as an antique. It is not classified as a firearm. Anything before 1890, okay? Yes. So 
when you're talking universal background check, what are you talking about now? Are you talking about me selling a gun to my, my parent? Are you talking about me giving hand-me-down heirloom guns to my children? Are you talking about when I purchase a new firearm, I have to go through a complete background check? And what is even a universal background check? Because right now, every time I buy a firearm, other than those that are the, before 1890, I go through a background check every single time. Every firearm I've ever purchased, I've had to go through a background check. Every single one through an FBI background check. Yep. Every single time. So what are you asking for that we don't already have? When I hear the words universal background check, I want to know what you mean. Because that could mean so many things. And it also gives the way the way that the way that it works now is there is no national gun registry. What happens is when a, a, a firearm uh, when a shooting takes place, basically what happens is law enforcement looks at that and says, okay, here's the serial number for this particular gun. They go to the manufacturer and say, okay, who did you sell this gun to? Go to that person. Okay, who did you sell this gun to? And they follow the chain of events until they get to... The dealer that sold it to a person. A person. And, and then, dealers are required to keep that information for 20 years. Yes. So, so all of my guns are accessible to the government, but there's not a registry for them with the government right now. They, can, yes. they have access, but not, they don't have it on file. Like right now, they know where it is. But here's my thing. It's too broad. I need to know specifically what you're talking about when you say something like that. Because with, with what we're getting in that compromise, I know exactly what we're getting. I know exactly what it means. Universal background checks, I don't know what that means. And it's, and it's too broad. I want specifics. I'm okay with the concept, but give me specifics of what you're talking about so yeah. I can be okay with it or not okay with it. Red flag laws, I struggle with because who is defining what is mentally incapable or or dangerous. No, because I, in the I current think, climate, I think, I think the real debate should be around what we need. What are the true red flags? And I think if the government is going to spend money on studies, yeah, and really look into anything, that would be what's worth looking right. into. Forget, on, the forget about out, the migration patterns of blue yep, whales. Who and cares? Do it outside of the partisan hack thing. Put, yeah. put together a committee of sociologists and psychologists and people that really understand human behavior yeah. in, in a way that politicians, that it's separate from the politicians and get them, you know, it, they pay colleges all the time for stupid reports and, and sponsor all kinds of things that go way beyond what the government should be paying for. Yeah. Why not pay for something that could actually benefit public health? And yeah. The, uh, an effective regulation of the Second Amendment to look into what are the commonalities amongst these people and what are the true like driving factors that we can say these things usually happen every time and if anybody sees these types of things, we should be notifying local authorities yeah. about these things. Let's pay attention. If they're notified, then it becomes incumbent on these particular people to yeah. look into it and see whether it be good to put them on some sort of registry or remove their, like the whole no buy, no fly thing is bad because the no flies list, the no fly list is poorly policed, poorly put together. It's arbitrary. And very, very arbitrary. Yeah. Like the no fly list, people hope that the government has a, has just terrorists on there Yeah. or like really bad people. And that's not the case. No. I mean, they, try but it's not <clears throat> yeah it's very arbitrary yeah. and there's not a good criteria and what for was what was there. the third thing there 
you get universal background checks. Uh, you get red flag laws, and bump stocks are gone. Yeah, I don't care about bump stocks. I mean, bump stocks are a toy. And if it yeah. weren't for the Vegas shooting, which I'm highly suspicious of anyway, that wouldn't even be a thing. Nobody would care. Yeah. Bump stocks are not something that's what? easy to be accurate with. Mm-hmm. One of the theories on the Vegas shooting that I found very intriguing was that it was an FBI sting Gone operation wrong. that went wrong. Yeah. Which I, is why there were so many different calibers of weapons. Yeah. And and people didn't see access in and out of yeah. the room and a number of things that tell me They're that just the a room lot of was things. unmonitored. The biggest thing that didn't add up was the fact that we don't know anything about that shooter. Yeah, and it just all went away really quickly, and that does not happen with mass I, shootings. I just, I feel like even even he could have been an FBI agent or an agent of the FBI that had a sting operation set up that there was a buy or that he thought it was a buy and a true like terrorist organization or some actual factual terrorist yeah guys with bad intentions knew what what the setup was and came in and took care of him and did what they did and yeah. got out, you yeah. know, like I'm not saying that's what happened. Cause that could be really insensitive to some people yeah, that but lost something people. was something's but, off with that I mean, whole thing. Something's it, off. It is intriguing. It doesn't I, I follow know. the normal just, pattern. It's way off. And to pin it all on bump stocks. It's yeah, like, it's bizarre. You're so you're saying something that became that makes a gun much, much less accurate and just increases the rate of fire was the only reason so many people died. And if you hear I'm sorry, but if you hear the video footage of that, that was not bump stock fire. That just was not. It, yeah. it was too consistent. It was not bump stock fire. But that's a whole that's a whole nother debate. Yeah. That's a whole nother discussion. Um so yeah, bump stocks I don't care about. But but both and of those And Trump has banned them. Yes. yes. They're gone. But both of those things are are too arbitrary. They give too much control and too much leeway to the government because they can suddenly decide that, you know what, being a Trump supporter is is what makes you unfit. Being a a a a conservative, it makes you unfit because you're likely to do this, that, or have these beliefs that we find bigoted. It, those things are just too arbitrary for me. Give me specifics. Tell me exactly in writing in detail what you want, and then I will give you an opinion on that. But until then, no. I, 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 no. Just no. I mean, I would even be open to <clears throat> temporarily, while people are on certain medications, if it's found that that medication is present in a number of mass shooters... Yeah. If you were able to isolate certain medications and say, while this person has an active prescription for this medication and that's a red flag, that we can temporarily suspend them from buying a weapon while they're on this particular drug. Right. I don't know if it's crafted that narrowly. Maybe I that would be something I'd be on yeah. board with. You know, and that's the problem because is that we have something now that the founding fathers didn't have, which was mind altering drugs. Yeah, that are at least not to the extent. I mean, they had morphine. Mood, and, and at least thing. mood altering. Yeah. you know what I'm. You know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's my thing. Whenever you get into the whole debate about the Second Amendment, whenever you get into the whole debate about gun control in general, is that is that it it's too sweeping, it's too broad, it's trying to cast too broad a net, um, and that's what happens when the federal government gets into something that it's not meant to do. Um, you know, you look at, I mean, for crying out loud, Columbine happened during the assault weapons ban that Bill Clinton did. Yeah, uh, the 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 California <clears throat> massacre, uh, the 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 shootout, uh, the L.A. shootout happened during the assault weapons ban. And those guys had fully automatic weapons and took on the police and, and killed it. You know, it was, it was a horrible thing. These things don't work. They don't work. They don't work at a federal level. 
They're not successful. They're doing the wrong thing. They're disarming the people who are least likely to commit a crime, trying to stop the people who are most likely to find another way or still have access to that thing because they don't care whether or not it's and, legal. And even bump stocks, the I think it was 2006 when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which why are those things all in the same category? But anyway... It's just an antiquated thing that still exists. They signed off on bump stocks being sold. Like, yeah. they, you have to get approval for these things. They got approval in 2006. The government approved the sale. So a person that bought them legally, you know, and, and went out and purchased them with the blessing of the government, do you really want, like, a father of two who bought these with good intentions and just put them on a gun right. for, for shooting for sport. You want him to go to prison yeah. for owning a bump stock? Cause that happened in New York Yeah, and he had to fight to stay free. Yeah. And it's like, do we really want a government doing that over a toy? Right. Like I, I understand, I get it, but there are real world things. Like your government told this guy it was okay to buy it. He yeah. went out and bought it his state bandit, he may or may not have known that. Yeah. Or however well it was published or whatever, and it came up that he had one somehow and right. got thrown. He's faced 15 years in prison. Right. That can't be okay. Right. Like, there's got there's got to be other ways, and there's got to be ways, I don't know, <laughs> the guy I find most disingenuous right. on this is Joe Biden, <sighs> who says, the best way to defend your home is to walk to your back porch and fire two shots into the air with a shotgun. That is illegal in yes, most places. and really dangerous. And not smart at all. No, but that that basically sums and up how Joe is Biden. That, how's that defending all the other people in your house? Like, right. you have kids in other rooms and there's a home invasion happening and you go to the back porch? I'm really confused yeah. how that's very smart. Well, and that's the thing is, in this debate, you always get this thing where You'll have uh, you'll have people that want to make the argument. Oh, you know, we're not coming for your guns. We're not coming for your guns. You're literally coming for my guns. I own an AR-15. When yeah. you talk about banning AR-15s, you are talking about coming for my gun. So don't tell me you are not coming for my guns when, in the same breath, you are telling me specifically the gun that I own that you're trying to take away from me. Don't which, do it. Which is legal in our state for hunting wild boar and coyotes and just about any, like, an, a whole list of different animals that if they were allowed to grow and roam free, you yeah. wouldn't want to live in a country like yeah. that. And, yeah. and it's like, why do you have an AR? Why do you feel the need to have that? Um, I don't know. Semi-automatic weapons do not have the same recoil as because of the way their action works, does not have the same recoil for somebody that's smaller mm -hmm. to be able to learn. I want, if a kid's going to learn rifling, why not have a semi-automatic 22? It right. doesn't kick. It just claps. It's not loud. It's not explosive. It's a great thing to learn on. And and you, they don't have to learn reloading right yeah. away. A lot of things are much simpler. And, you know, my wife is a capable shooter, but would she much rather shoot the AR? Absolutely. It doesn't kick like crazy. And yet it's a high powered weapon and she can shorten the stock. Like right now, that scary looking stock right. that isn't a stationary wood stock actually makes it easier for me and my wife to shoot the same gun. Right. And because there's an accessible 
magazine. I can load and un, I can make sure the gun is clear very easily. She can load it and unload it and yeah. doesn't have to learn a specific loading system for that weapon uh, as opposed to others. It's easy. And one of the things people do not realize is that there are a lot of women in, in this country that own ARs and that yeah. shoot ARs because of that. They're not... They're not big frame to be able to handle a 300 Winchester short mag. Right. It's going to put your shoulder into next week. <laughs> I know I've shot them. They're painful. My 30 odd six is not anything that my wife wants to shoot more right. than once because she bruises easily. Right, like right. it's just not going to be good. <laughs> so like, and it, it, it really does empower women and people with smaller frames and smaller hands and that type of things. Like it does make them powerful and it, 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 in a physical battle, is she going to win? Yeah. No, not necessarily. No. But now you don't want to mess with her. Right, right. Like, when you talk about disarming the public, you're not just disarming the gun nut down the street. Right. You're disarming the mom of three who has a carjacker, carjacker at her door. Yeah. If she's not allowed to conceal carry in her car... Um, her car just got taken with her kids in the back. Right. How cool is that? I would rather, this is Ted Nugent. Yes, it is. I Say would it. rather that woman put two to the chest and one to the head and she drives home safely. Yeah. Yes, there might have to be some counseling yeah. done with everybody involved. Yeah. But hey, the bad guy that was trying to carjack the mom of three is now dead. Yeah. The right guy is dead. The cop's didn't have to come from 10 miles away right. and save her. Right. Like when you disarm the public, you let those kids get taken yeah. by a felon with a knife. Yeah. He doesn't even need a weapon. Yeah. That he doesn't even need a firearm. Although only criminals will have the firearms. Right. Right. Exactly. And see, this is my thing is you're not going to melt them all down instantly because you pass a law. Right. It, they're not going anywhere. And this is why I automatically feel that the argument, the gun control debate is automatically comes from a disingenuous place. Because if your first reaction to a tragedy is we need to take away the gun, you're automatically starting out on the wrong premise. You're blaming the wrong thing. You're, you're pointing to a, a thing that is not even a symptom that's just a tool that was used. You know, the, the, the person doing the thing is a symptom, symptom of a greater problem. The same day that Sandy Hook happened, a man in China stabbed 20 kids. Yeah. Stabbed them. Yeah. A psychopath stabbed a whole bunch of kids in a school, more than 20 kids, and I'm not equating one with the other. Don't misunderstand yeah. what I'm saying. I'm saying psychopaths, given any weapon, will try and commit atrocities. As, as a society, we should be trying to look at carefully looking into, not politically, but carefully looking into how these things happen and why they happen and doing what we can to mitigate the damage. Yeah. And looking f to catch these things earlier rather than focusing immediately on the scary-looking weapon that the right. person used. And that you don't actually understand or know anything you about. don't get what's going on. Yeah. Because had you held up the knife that that guy used, I'm sure it's not nearly as scary-looking, yeah. and so it doesn't get near the publicity. And plus, it was in, it was in another country. Yeah. 
Was there anything else you wanted to say on this topic before we? No, I think before I, we wrap, I think my heart is clear. I've your said your heart is clear. My heart is clear. I've said like, what I want to say. We've steered around the gun control topic for yeah. a while, and, and I wanted to take it head on yeah. and talk about it a little bit. And, but yeah, and that's why I said I don't feel like there need, there is a reasonable path forward because I really don't think there is. As long as it continues to be what it is currently, even that I feel like that is very reasonable. Except there's loaded things in that that yeah. is not that's not clear enough. But I do feel like the gun rights side would be open to a carefully crafted way forward. Yes. If we trusted the process that was going to be used. Yes. If we trusted the people involved in the process. The problem is that we don't trust the current political climate to in any way construct something that is, that is both respectful yeah. of the people that currently legally and carefully own firearms and 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 also trying to mitigate the damage that happens when they're used incorrectly. Yep. We don't trust that they can actually get that done. Yep, that's absolutely true. And and I think if there was a concerted effort made, I would be willing to see Democrats and Republicans and people coming together if we could do it in a way that makes sense. I think the guns rights side I'm talking like somebody that was raised in a house with a lot of rifles yeah. and shotguns and yeah. hunted for a long time. I was raised in gun culture. I get it. Right. We would all be open to something like that if it was reasonable and we trusted the process. We, right. It's just that we don't. Yeah. Because you say, we're going to take everybody's guns. Yeah. We're going to ban this. We're going to ban that. Yeah. Confiscate. You do realize right now, if you're saying that in this environment, take all the guns, that only Donald Trump has guns. Yeah. Are you still comfortable with and that? And only the police who you say are all racists have guns. Only the, only, the, only the police who commit heinous acts of brutality, according to the left, and Donald Trump, who, runs, who is commander-in-chief of all the armed forces, those are the people that are the only ones left with guns. Yeah. You still good with your outcome? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It only it makes sense if you're the guys in charge. In power, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, but yeah, I'd say that's it. Do we have an action step this week? Um, action step is you can go back and watch our Facebook video yes. where we did the where we did the fear tournament, and you can see its inception there. Um, it's Facebook.com/slash The Things We Say Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TTWS Podcast. Same thing on Instagram. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.